I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In today's world, every one of us is a pseudo-photographer. The ubiquity of advanced photography devices has turned us into compulsive picture snappers. But despite this inflation of the photographed image, in fact, perhaps now more so than ever, it remains true that there's much more than just pressing a button in the capturing of a moment. Ziv Koren, one of Israel's most prominent and world-renowned photographers, has been in the business for almost 30 years. Throughout his life, Koren has documented countless historical events around the globe, from HIV epidemic outbreaks and the tsunami disaster in Southeast Asia, to the earthquake in Haiti, and many more. His photos won numerous awards and were exhibited in luxurious museums such as the Met in Tokyo, the Art Museum in Houston, and the Maxi in Rome. Cohen has published 15 books, including Writing with Light, Milestones, Shalom, Inshallah. We're super excited to have Ziv Cohen on the show to take an audio snapshot of his incredible career and talk about what it means to be a photographer. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. I'm, I'm impressed with... Uh, we got it. We're <laughs> impressed, if you couldn't tell. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, let's... Just one correction. I've yeah. uh, just published my 18th book, so... Eight. That, that, yeah, oh, okay. 18 books. We can't keep up. At that point, it, like, <laughs> does it matter? No, not, <laughs> no, not really. I'm kidding. No, it, it all depends <laughs> on the quality. It's not about quantity. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you put the phone on silent, please? Yeah, yeah, I will. Thank you. So... Uh, Maybe we'll start with, because uh, I'm sure that you've experienced some incredible things, or, you know, documenting all these things and being around the world and taking such amazing photographs. Um, is there a moment that's memorable? You know, one time that you clicked the camera that kind of not only was saved in a photograph, but in your head too? Um, I can think of probably hundreds of these moments. Uh, I would not say every single picture I took, but uh, definitely ma- major events I've photographed and documented throughout the years. Uh, some that left a scar and some left a sweet memory, but uh, altogether, you know, you, you are a witness mm-hmm. in, in situations which are sometimes, you know, the peak of something big event that happens and uh, you're right there at the right time, at the right moment to, to and it's not only that uh, you see the thing, you know, through the viewfinder of the camera, you're physically there mm-hmm. and that's that's a big difference i would i would probably would like to emphasize the fact that um a lot of people think that the, because you're behind a camera it's like a shield or something and and on the contrary i think that uh when you're looking at a strong image you usually use only one of your senses which is obviously your sight and when you're present in a in a, in a, in a major event know it's the, the whole thing surrounds you it's mm-hmm. the, the noises and the sounds and and uh, the smells and obviously the visual aspect of it which is obviously strong but uh, you go through some very strong emotional experience while you're there so you don't disconnect yourself I mean it's not that uh, the camera is in a way kind of a shield because you know it's um, it's much more than just the of image. course because you know at the end of the day I, I want my viewers to to go through this emotional experience that I've experienced while I was there and to to capture you know the image that will tell a story mm-hmm. and at the end of the day it's uh it's not only just about you know you know visual aspect but you know to really t- you know 
go <laughs> through this kind of an experience and if i want to do that this this uh, emotional thing doesn't go doesn't bypass me it goes through me in order for it to really mean something mm-hmm. and so yes so, so to, it's also to, a- to answer your question yeah. <laughs> i have uh, very vivid mem- memories of, of yeah. events that i've photographed and places that i've been to and some of them are very sweet to remember and some of them are very harsh what about a scary one the one that left a scar oh many scars <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen, you know, I've been documenting the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for the last 30 years. I joined the Israeli military as a military photographer in, in 1989. And that was, you know, the hard times of the first intifada. And since then, it's for the first day I was, I've been holding a camera as a professional. You know, until this day, I've been, it's been a major part of, of, of my work is documenting the conflict. Along the th- almost 30 years that I've been doing that, Obviously, you know, I've been uh, confronted with events, you know, from, from terror attacks to military operations to night raids and everything, you know, in between that um, have been um, not easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Like you could almost say that because of the conflict, thanks to the conflict in a weird way, one photojournalist has a steady job because <laughs> uh, no, you know I, what I mean I, like I, I, I'm not, I can't say that to no. put it in a positive light <laughs> no I'm kidding um, um, but I have to ask you a question because you you bring up the the conflict which brings up uh, kind of an ethical dilemma I guess I mean how where do you I guess where where does the line start between I mean because you could in a sense say you you're snapping a photograph there's nothing more real than that right there's you just pick up the camera and you take a picture and there's no there's no guidelines I mean if I take a picture of this that's what it is and there's nothing that anybody can say it's objective it's as objective as it can be what what are you trying to ask so if what I'm asking ethical is, aspect I'm asking what yeah, exactly what is what is subjective about uh, the photography and it, photojournalism First, okay, first of all, I have to say that uh, I was uh, involved in, uh, in a group of very intelligent people that literally wrote the ethical code for the Israeli photographer recently. Mm-hmm. And that is because we, due to the, it started with the digital, um, you know, photography that uh, became extremely popular in the last almost 20 years. And we all adapted that you know, very, very smoothly, obviously, but what we didn't really take into consideration is the fact that we are dealing with uh, the ability of manipulation. And this is something that uh, we are losing credibility of photography in, at large and uh, of photojournalism in specific in a very dramatic way. In an, an example? An Almost example? every picture you see on, on uh, social media have been has been manipulated this way or another pictures uh, of um, advertising of course uh, fashion of course and it starts to melt into photojournalism as well have you ever taken a photo and looked at it afterwards and said this is an objective okay th- this is another thing which uh, if you you know we, we can talk about about the objectivity in photography in general the biggest, um, I would say, uh, problem with, uh, uh, and I would separate the ethical code about uh, digital manipulation to what we are just talking about, which, which is, you know, if, if uh, the, the image I took really reflects uh, on the event that I've just photographed. And 
obviously in universities the discussion is that there is no objectivity in photography um, I cannot agree a hundred percent because I can you know I can be very um, um, frank with myself and say that uh, I'm doing my very best to be as object as objective as I can to be very honest uh, when you decide to press the shutter of the camera at a certain second you already are not objective because it's a very subjective uh, act and you decide what will be in the picture how to frame it and when the picture is taken so I understand the the, the dilemma uh, on one hand and then on the other you know when I'm out in the field I try to be as objective as possible mm -hmm. there is a reason why I have uh, this <coughs> tattoo on my hand which says that I'd rather be honest than impressive I'm not trying to impress I'm trying to to bring the story as is and made make it um, as visible as possible to as much as audience as I can but you choose often impressive settings to your photographs it's also part of the job it's not okay the fact that I, I, I'd rather be honest doesn't mean <laughs> I don't want to impress I mean okay. <laughs> <laughs> you should add that no, <laughs> that, to, to, no uh, to, to be very honest uh, you know yeah. the stories that I deal with and, and I must say that, that now seriously speaking on the contrary I think that most subjects that I deal with are extremely unpopular you know we're doing a story on, on AIDS in, in Africa or or you know doing a reportage on the tsunami or uh, you know other stories that you've mentioned like Haiti after the earthquake and, and dealing with poverty and dealing even with a conflict you know all these uh, stories are not popular mm -hmm. honestly we live in an era where most people just don't want to know so w when did exactly did you arrive uh, in a tsunami in Southeast Asia this is the this is in Japan or in the Philippines Actually, it's it, 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 yeah, it, it hit pretty much everything. Okay. I, I, I got with an aid organization to Sri Lanka. Is this Israel? No, no. I, I came with um, a Latet organization. Ah, okay. Uh, but I, I actually, along the years, I worked with, with everybody and, and to, to uh, Haiti as well. Haiti was probably one of the worst events I've ever experienced in my life. So tell us about that and how, how so. There's a very big difference. Um, if you arrive to an event which is over and in most cases even if shooting the most horrifying you know bus explosion terror attack uh, or um, uh, suicide bomber um, even if you arrive five minutes later I mean the, the event is is done as, as harsh as it can be uh, it's 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 over um, arriving to Haiti you understood that besides the hundreds of thousands that, that died and the, the millions that uh, were left with no homes, you had, you cannot even tell the numbers of people underground, probably alive, with no way of, of uh, rescuing them, you know, whatsoever. I mean, with all the teams that arrived from all over the world, including the Israeli team uh, that... Uh, um, that, that arrived to, to Haiti and started uh, digging in the concrete and trying to find survivors, I think that how many were survived? 20, 30, 50? I don't think... Uh, I could just, you know, you can just feel it. You can just feel the, f the, the after, you know, the, the event is not done. You know, it's, they mm -hmm. have uh, probably thousands of people buried alive, maybe next to a, a family member, probably, uh, which is dead or alive, and... They will, 
it will take another day or two or five or six, but eventually they will uh, breathe the last breath and 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 you know and, and die. you are there and you need to first of all i guess what you do correct me if i'm wrong is you connect with people right if you want to get good photographs you have to connect you have to engage with people and i guess in these scenarios it's so hard sometimes because I mean, how, how, what drives you and how, how do you deal how do you with that? Them? How do you approach that? How do you deal with the agony of knowing that you're coming from your privileged place to this place for a brief days? And yeah, it's not, you don't think about, you know, where do I come from? Where do these people, uh, you know, and why, why do they suffer? And we don't, it's, it's not all, it's not about that. You know, it's um, in a very limited uh, time to make the story as deep as possible, to go as far as you can and as deep as you can in the story and to find, you know, personal stories as well, you know, and, and, and it's everywhere, it's everywhere. You know, we got to the general hospital together with doctors from Israel and, uh, and a group of people from Latet. Um, the hospital, the only hospital that was still functioning because the rest didn't, didn't function at all. You had, we arrived, I think it was like 48 hours after the earthquake took place because it took us like five flights to arrive to Haiti and the airport was closed and we got like, an, like on this private small airplane that took us uh, um, from the Dominican Republic to, to uh, Port-au-Prince. And you, you, you found hundreds of people lying outside the hospital that no one even got to them yet. And, you know, there were a shortage of doctors and, and nurses because some of them probably died or the whole thing didn't function. And the parking lot was full of, of people wounded on the, on the floor that were brought to the hospital on, on stretchers, on ladders, on doors. They were just whatever straight thing people could find. They just brought their relatives to the hospital. They just left them there and, and walked away or whatever. So you cannot imagine the amount of, of uh, wounded people and... And that was the easy part because at some point the Israeli doctors started taking, you know, um, uh, checking people and seeing what their needs are and infusion and stuff, you know, for the, just to keep them alive in some, in some most cases. And after a while, um, I saw this um, young girl with a baby and he, the baby was full of bandages. And uh, as I was walking back and forth because she was in right in this place where the Israeli doctors were taking care uh, giving treatment to patients, um, so they asked her in to to diagnose her, her son that was full of like bandages, as I said. And only after a while, when she got into the to the room and they checked the kid, they understood that she's been holding a dead baby for a long time. So they took the baby away from her, and then I just I walked out, and it was really overwhelming and. She obviously, you know, burst into tears and, and crying and some of the staff was crying with her. And uh, I walked to the back part of the hospital, honestly, just to take a cigarette and take a rest for a minute. And then at the back part of the hospital, I found that there were piles of hundreds of dead bodies. No, hundreds. There was no room to, to pile the, the, the dead bodies of the people that died in the earthquake and people were afraid of... Um, epidemics and they all just were coming and you know just throwing dead bodies in in huge piles i don't think i've seen anything like that you know in and my you've life seen before. some things <laughs> yeah you know it's what's really amazing is that uh, every time i think i've you know i've seen it all 
you know, I find myself in situations where I said, no, I've never seen anything like that. And it, yeah, it looked it looked so like a, you know a Holocaust scene, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it takes us automatically there. Yeah. But then, how? Okay, but how do you make those scenarios into photographs? Listen, it's very uh, hard. Uh, on on the field, I always tell myself, shoot everything. Not everything you will use, or not everything will be published, or not anything can really tell the story. Sometimes it's 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 really overwhelming, and the picture cannot be used. But you know, just for for even for the archive, maybe someday, or, or you know, if you'll need to prove something, at, I don't know. I mean, I cannot stop myself from taking a picture, even though I know as a fact that in most cases like these, you know, the picture will not be published. So you took the picture? Of course I do, yeah. Do you ever struggle with the sense of, because I feel like the average person who picks up his camera and takes pictures of people or even scenarios has this, sometimes a sense of like, uh, not just voyeurism, but like taking advantage or, you know, like, uh, like, uh, banking on the sorrows of others. I mean, I hope this doesn't come across as offensive because it's not meant to be. It's a genuine, like, do you ever struggle with that? Or is that something that maybe, I don't know, doesn't exist in a good photographer that you just like, you pick up your camera and you, you shoot. Let me tell you something, you know, uh, in, in my profession today, I lose money every time I work on this kind of story. So if anybody thinks, you know, it's uh, making it in order to make a profit or to make some money, yeah, on the contrary, I volunteer in these, uh, uh, in Latet or, you know, other organizations and I, I volunteer to travel, you know, I, I quit or, or I just push away um, um, jobs that I was supposed to do here uh, and uh, just, you know, fly because I think it's important. I think, you know, I, I have a feeling that uh, there is a need for me to document these events. And yeah, no, but I, I'm sorry. Banking was a poor choice of words. What I mean is like in that moment where that mother is, I mean, is there no level of like discomfort? It's not even like the, the idea of, of making money on the photographs because that's clearly not. I'm saying is there no discomfort in lifting the camera at that moment, at that intimate moment of sorrow? So, sometimes there is, but you know, there is a very strong story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, um, I, I, I don't want to give examples of, of my images, but you know, looking through history, you see what how an image can really move or, or do something or make people react to to events. You know, let's talk about the the uh, the baby that uh, came uh, to shore in Turkey, uh, yep. the the, the Syrian Syri mm -hmm. Syrian boy. You know, three year old boy. Thousands died before him, thousands died after him, but something in this image changed the way people, you know, think, thought about, about uh, the, the, if they thought wave, about the waves, it at all. exactly, the waves of refugees. Countries open their gates, people send money, you know, um, um, communities or organizations uh, send s support and supplies. I mean, it made a change. This mm -hmm. single image made a change to you know the the way that people were thinking, as you said, if they were thinking ab about uh, this whole crisis of uh, of uh, refugees. Um, so, you know, there is a there is a story there is a story that needs to be told, and I sometimes can understand you know the the privacy of of a human being that you know is being photographed and. Uh, Maybe in some cases not in a very comfortable comfortable way, but I think that um, the stro the story is stronger than that. Mm -hmm. But you can deny continuing Ethan's question that to be a good photographer, 
you need a huge amount of chutzpah and courage, but mainly chutzpah. Maybe this is why you as an Israeli excel, um, because it takes a lot of chutzpah to go to these people, to start conversations, to, to, to push yourself into private situations. Yeah, but you know what? I think that in, in most cases, you know, pushing yourself, knocking on the door, you know, it happens everywhere. You know, I can walk around Tel Aviv and I want a, a high angle of shooting something and I walk into somebody's apartment, knock on his door and said, can I use, you know, your balcony? Because Seriously? I would like, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do that. You know? Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah, you need to be built from a certain kind of material, I guess, uh, yeah. in order to because because it's true. You need a lot of chutzpah. You need some. I guess you need some courage as well. And you know, you need to bring the shot, whatever it takes, mm-hmm. and whatever it takes. Determination. You know, yeah. So yeah, it is. Let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back home. Let's come back, back home, home to but the, also to back the, in time. What, what did you want to ask? I want to ask why did you become a photographer and when? Okay. Um, It's funny because I had a, a motorcycle accident uh, in high school and I, when I was recruited to the army, I had a very low profile. You know, they divided into profiles and um, so I could not be a combat uh, soldier. And honestly, after graduating um, art school, um, I was looking for something interesting to do and I've heard that uh, the military magazine was looking for a photographer and I... Um, I kind of made a portfolio which didn't really exist. I wasn't considered a photographer. I was, I was uh, studying art, not uh, photography. Don't ask me why, but I was accepted. And I thought it was a, like, a nice way to kind of go through the three years of, of uh, military service. And it really caught me, especially because of the Intifada. And then before... The first Intifada, the first intifada a- 89, yeah. 88. Yeah, it started in 88. And, and then you know, I was a year after I started my service. And um, the second thing was um, uh, the first uh, Gulf War in 91. That was before I finished my service, but you know, I was right there at the right time. I was a military photographer, so I had access to go into all the places that the Scud missiles were falling from Iraq, falling on Ramat Gan, which is my hometown. And uh, I could literally kind of walk to most of the location that uh, the Scud missiles hit. These were surreal times. Oh, definitely. And <laughs> at that point, I understood that this is what I want to do in life. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. Right before I, f- I was finishing my military service and I was already like totally into photojournalism, you know, wanting to be it or, you know, the dis- to get a decisive moment in the right location and so on and so forth. So I had this uh, father and son conversation with my dad, which is a businessman, I don't think that at the time he really thought that photography is a profession. <laughs> and uh, so we sit in, in the kitchen and my mother is right there and, and he's asking me, okay, so, you know, son, you're going to finish your service in a short while and what do you have in mind? I said, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be a photojournalist. So, silence. Okay. okay. <laughs> Almost got That's a stroke it. there. Yeah. Then he said, okay, I, I, I want to challenge you. Said, Whoa, okay. I said, I said listen, He, he opened his tools because he doesn't know how to work in my kind of tools as a photojournalist, but he opened his box of tools and then he said, okay, listen, I'm going to give you 10 years to, to uh, put a picture in Time Magazine or Newsweek. I said, wow, <laughs> wow, what a challenge. I mean, what can I possibly photograph that you know, would be you know, interesting enough or strong enough you know, to be in one of these magazines? You know, I was like 20 years old. I, I didn't even start yet my career. 
And um, my mother was saying, why are you demoralizing the kid? You know, it's, uh, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I said, no, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll take it. You know, I said, I need some kind of proof that you're in the right direction and so on. That was in uh, 91. In uh, three years later, I, um, I got the first cover of Time magazine. And nine months after that, I got the first cover, uh, my first cover of Newsweek. So about four years after, I came with the two magazines to my dad and said, listen, two covers, you know, get off my back. You know, it's Mic been, drop. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> but but um, what, what, what was in the covers? The first cover was the um, uh, terror attack. Terror attack. It was a suicide bomber on the five bus, um, bus number five in Dizengoff. That was the first. No, that was before Purim. It was the first reaction of Hamas to Oslo Agreement. Right. That was, was October, uh, October, October 94, yeah. exactly. 19 October 94. And so it, the cover was the, the exploded bus. Uh, and nine months later was uh, Igal Amir, the assassin of uh, Yitzhak Rabin. What, what was the photograph? Like after he was... A, a tight headshot, a portrait of Igal Amir that I shot... Um, not the, at the night of, of um, the assassination, but 48 hours later, he was brought to, in front of a judge, uh, and I waited for him at the courthouse and, and got you know, a portrait of him. Now, there must have been, I mean, it wasn't just you there. There must have been a bunch of photojournalists there. Actually, there were like three, I think, photographers. That was, I, I was really kind of shocked because everybody was so into the assassination and, and uh, it was before the funeral and with all the, you know, balagan that took place here. Um, for some reason, I don't know if people didn't know or whatever. Shocked. Yeah. I, 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 shocked. And, and for some reason, we were like, two, I think three photographers there. And since I was already working for Sigma, I started, you know, shooting for a Sigma agency, which was at the time, like one of the biggest agencies in the world. And... Um, so I sent my, my images to Sigma and they were distributed, you know, the yeah. same day and uh, Newsweek picked it up uh, to be the cover of the magazine. But what was it like sitting in that same room as the man who had just killed the prime minister of Israel? I think we, we, we couldn't even understand yet, you know. Um, looking Now, even looking back, uh, the amount of damage that this assassination brought is 10 times stronger or bigger than, than we thought at the time. I mean, we were shocked, but we didn't understand the consequences. He knew and exactly what he was oh doing. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. He, you know, he, he understood um, better than us that uh, it would definitely kill the, the, the peace process, that uh, everything is going to turn upside down. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, that's a bit, I mean, so do you just like in that moment, is it just like you're just nonstop uh, like on the shutter or do, are you waiting for a moment? I guess it's a bit of both. Um, I'm, I'm very focused. I'm very technical. I, I'm looking for a decisive moment. And on the other hand, let me remind you, it, it was shoot, sh shooting on film, on slides. You know, you it's have, not that yeah. digital camera that you can look in the back and see. Cost you know, money. The, the light, yeah, the, no, it, was, it didn't exist yet. Yeah, no, but it also, I'm saying, every, every snap is also... Yeah, but that, that's not the point. I mean, uh, the, the point is because, you know, you, I always had a magazine paying for my film, so it, it's not about the money. It's about, 
you know, being accurate and, uh-huh. uh, you know, shooting a f- picture that will, you cannot check yourself and see how the light falls and, you know, if he blinked or not. I mean, you know, can you imagine coming back from an assignment, you know, anywhere in Africa or whatever with uh, 200 rolls of film you've been shooting for like 10 days and you didn't see even one single picture the whole time and you come back and process your film the whole I mean, it's it's crazy how everything is so instant and fast and wow. and advanced uh, nowadays. But anyway, going back, so yeah, I'm 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 very technical and very focused. You know, I don't I don't think about the feelings I have towards this person. I think about how do I get the best you know image that will hopefully be on the cover of Newsweek. By the way, so this is this is my thought. You know, being very sharp and and uh, and technical and know and it's sh- and in focus i mean so the picture would be in focus and the aperture will be right and the depth of field and what's behind them and you know mm-hmm. that this is my thought yeah. you know it's uh i heard once in a i think in an interview maybe it was a podcast with you that um that either you or you were speaking about other photojournalists are sometimes required to bring uh or to to basically pass over all the images that they took on a certain uh on a certain uh mission or whatever to meaning they they have to pass all the images they're not allowed to leave out one because of the to to pass because where? of the objectivity of like the narrative that the photos show oh i mean it it is true um pass to to whom to like to, if you're on an assignment yeah, for I, a certain I, magazine i'll give an example uh, national geographic would not accept yeah. you know a story yeah. that you don't you know sh- you work on a story for two years you shot a uh, 200 images and you have to bring in all the 200 to to see con- consistencies to see that you didn't take any picture out to see the whole take you know this is how they work this is you know they, why is that I think uh, because um, they don't want, you know, one image to be pulled out and be manipulated and being put in back again. So you see that what's happening before and after, that nothing has been changed, that it's all recorded on, on RAW and not JPEGs. I mean, there is a very certain kind of, exactly because of what I was referring to when we started the conversation, talking about the ethical code and trying, you know, to be as ethic as possible and not manipulating pictures and you need to have at least you know some agencies and some newspapers and magazines that that took the role of being as honest as possible about you know uh the an an objective about the stories that they produce and and the images that they run in their magazines so I totally appreciate that and i mean um it's very sad to say that i I don't know any other magazine that work in the same way, but mm. uh, definitely, uh, you know, National Geographic does that, yeah. I have to ask you, Ziv, I'm thinking about all the things you shot, and it seems you are so, like, you have, you're so ruthless about it in the sense that I, I wonder, nothing scares you? Is there a project you would say no to because it's, it's too fucking dangerous? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> So how do the women in your life deal with it, you know? First of all, I'm divorced. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> no, but, but here's speaking, listen, um, it's not that I'm not afraid. I, I think you have to have a certain amount of fear, okay? Because if you're not, if you don't have any fear when you're in a dangerous situation, um, you're suffering from either that you have over self-confident or you don't understand the situation that you're in. One of these two. And in both cases, you know, you're fucked. I mean, yeah. Sorry to say that, but uh, you really need to understand the situation that you're in, and there's a certain amount of fear that keeps you sharp, that keeps you in focus, that keeps you with the understanding that you know things can happen, and you know you better you know beware and yeah, I do you know 
do some you know actions and, and and understand you know and i want to know more about the kind of story i i, I work on or i do and i ask, ask a lot of questions i want to understand better and 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 to make everything that is in my control in order to have as much knowledge as i can to understand where i'm going to um i don't remember that i've ever said no for any assignment even though it it was um and did you uh, almost die once <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> no when <laughs> okay you know i've been into gaza during the all the operations and you go into the tunnels and so on you know what honestly speaking i don't think this was as as dangerous as you're in a situation where things get out of control And it could be a riot or a, a demonstration and, you know, shooting starts and all of a sudden, you know, the situation flips over. You're not ready for it. You're not wearing a life jacket. You're not, you don't have a helmet and, and you find yourself on the floor, you know, putting your, your hands on your head because there is an exchange of uh, gunfire coming. You don't even know from where. So in these, these situations are much more extreme uh, than, you know, a controlled situation where you go and do a story with... A military unit and you go into I've done just recently uh, the book I've, I've done a book on, on the military that kind of concludes us for the 70th anniversary of Israel and you know I've done specific books on 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 the Yamam unit which is the Israeli official counterterrorism unit and Dudevan unit and uh, Shayetet and, and many others have been you know a large portion of my work has been done with the with the military and you know joining them to nitrates and so on i cannot say it's not obviously you know there is a certain amount of danger but it's it's easier when you're surrounded by soldiers and you're going into an event that is controlled in in most cases you know actually i'm going to do one of these tonight <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i'm doing a story on it might uh, be your last interview <laughs> <laughs> you can wow. never know thank you thank you for <laughs> so dark <laughs> <laughs> We hope not. <laughs> I feel like I have to say that. Now. <laughs> I'm not sure I want what you be careful of what you wish for, you know. <laughs> yeah. So do you uh can you tell us about any projects that are in the works right now other than this uh this uh um this one that you have tonight that we really do hope you come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm working with uh, Dudevan tonight on a story I'm I'm doing uh, with them. Um but uh yeah, so As I said, this book that just came out um, just uh, a few weeks ago, that uh, a translation to English, the book is called uh, uh, Snapshot. And I'm do- working on a book um, for um, Rambam Hospital, mm-hmm. 80th anniversary of the hospital. So it, like a reportage that I do for like the last couple of months that I've been coming once or twice a week and doing a story on, on the hospital. I've done a few of these on hospitals and you know as I said most of the stories I deal with are not popular it's, mm-hmm. it's for some reason I'm attracted to this kind of uh, of work and not like anything that is glamorous or rich or anything like that so these are the kind of stories that I pick uh, doing you think there's something to be said that 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 uh, I don't know tr- human tragedy like makes for the best photograph and stories the Holocaust yeah best story <laughs> fountain I, ever created i don't know um i don't think as a fact there uh there will be these stories will be more popular than uh, especially when you look on uh, social media you know you flip through instagram and uh, 
the most uh, viewed uh, pages would probably be um, um, people on yachts in the middle of uh, yeah you know the the good life more than yeah. uh, than uh, images you know the days of uh, life magazine with uh, images of uh, poverty you know that doesn't doesn't really exist anymore nobody wants to buy these images nobody wants to even to view them we like you know, escapism and you know what yeah because in a way even you know when you have an advertising of a brand new car next to a dying baby from somewhere you know nobody wants that i mean the not not the person viewing the image and especially not the person that bought the advertising you know he wants his car to be you know sold next next to a, a glamorous image and not uh, dying kids or whatever mm-hmm. so you know no one really as i said before no people just don't want to know and they w- yeah. really care i think that society is is changed in a way that uh we are not um um it, the society is you know it's more capitalist uh, these days and uh, people care for their personal well-being and more than the country and more than the you know the state and more People don't don't fight for a living, you know, anymore, and they they really want, you know, uh, prosperity and a and a good life, and uh, and they go on yachts and uh, and party, and you know, so there's yeah. really people are more con- concentrated in in themselves and their well-being than than you know the society and their country and and so on and so forth. So um, um, it's never going to be tragedy is never going to be as popular as, uh, as yes, a glamour. So if, if you if you look on Instagram nowadays, uh, curvy, good-looking girls will ha- will attract uh, more likes uh, by far than any tragedy on the world. You know. Yeah. So what do you say to young people who come to you and say, "Hey, Ziv, I want to become a photographer like you." you? You know what? You know what? I have. I would be gentle and say once a day. I have someone asking me this question. And honestly speaking, I don't know what to say because um, print is dead or dying. You know, the ones which are still printing are because they have enough reserve to, to keep it up until they will find a way to kind of make, make it happen either through social media or look at Time Magazine. Time Magazine is, you know, their social media is crazy. You have, they're uploading on, on Instagram and, and doing story on Instagram. They're all adapting to the new world. I mean... And uh, advertising is going to this direction as well. It all, it, it's all leading into this new era of, of, um, of uh, social media that is totally irresponsible, by the way. I mean, there is no editor who decides what's uh, relevant or what is real. And no one, you know, is looking for the facts. Everybody can upload whatever he wants. Um, um, so it's a big risk for young people to... It's it's first of all you know becoming a photojournalist nowadays I don't think it, it it's almost impossible to make a living. I mean it's uh, your father today would have never let you. <laughs> no, I if guess your not. son comes to you, you're I guess say not. in ten years. <laughs> I think uh, it's not. There are still ways I guess to make um, a bit of income uh, from photography, but uh, photojournalism is 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 dying, and it's very sad because. You know, some years ago, you had a photographer, photojournalist who traveled around the world to and looking for for stories and doing working on their own personal projects and coming back with amazing stories and then have the ability to sell it to magazines, both in the states and Europe and the Far East and so on, and be able to kind of 
break even from you know selling it in in, in to multiple magazines and and having you know cover their cost for working for six or eight or months or or a year and and it became impossible i know great amazing photographers that uh can't afford themselves to to travel and to work on the on these amazing reportages that they used to work on and mm -hmm. and it's very sad because the 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 industry is shrinking you know uh, magazines don't have the budgets and they don't have the space i mean all the magazines are shrinking the ones that are still you know alive are you know 10 years ago or five years ago they were running 120 pages now they're running running 60 or running uh, you know 50 so it's there is a huge change in uh, in in the industry and and uh, and it's sad because uh, i think there's there's a lot of um Im importance and uh, necessity in in images you know from around the world of stories that needs to be told and uh, there is not enough platform to tell these stories anymore mm -hmm. hopefully there will be i mean can you can know yeah, it's a very strange era of uh, kind of in between. Uh, nobody understands how to make money out of this, including magazines. I'm not talking about the p photographers, but you know the p the platforms. Uh, obviously, besides uh, Mark Zuckerman, who is making fun of all of us, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's a very but tricky. How era. do you, I guess, um, how do you justify, I guess, the need for for? I mean, when. Everybody on the ground now, you know, you, you used to send a photojournalist with the military or something to capture because nobody had a phone, nobody had anything. But now there's everybody on the ground has a phone. Something's happening. They pull out their phone. So it's not the most beautiful image. Yeah. So but there's documentation. Ex that, that's fine. I mean, for, for a news image, for, uh, for the break... Uh uh, breaking on, uh, news. Breaking yeah. news on the internet. That that's fine. But still, you need in order to it's really shallow. tell a story. Yeah, to really tell a story, you need. Not everybody that holds a pen is a writer. Not everybody who holds a camera is a photographer. And there's a big difference between knowing how to photograph and 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 being a photographer. It's two totally different things. Mm -hmm. It's like knowing how to drive and being uh, you know a race driver. It's the yeah. same thing. Uh, so it's not about about you know the fact that you have a camera. And by the way, most pictures in, in history, uh, the most familiar pictures in history were taken by amateurs. I mean, uh, really? yeah, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, you know, he didn't bring a photojournalist with him, right? And, <laughs> and, and uh, when Saddam Hussein was captured underground, it, it was a military guy who took the picture. And, and I can give you examples, you know, many examples like that, you know, al along the course of history from World War II, you know, besides very famous pictures by Robert Kappa, you have most of the strong images were shot by unknown photographers, probably soldiers that had a camera and probably died somewhere and somebody found their film. Right. So, um, the, yeah, so if there, if there's, everybody's holding a camera. You have uh, cameras in, on traffic lights that tells you exactly where the bomber went and the stabber or whatever, you know, you can yeah. actu actually chase him from one uh, um, um, traffic light to the other because there are cameras everywhere and you can track them down. I mean, it's not about, you know, uh, the it's, it's a matter of content, you know, the for the breaking news, it's fine. But then if you really, really want to tell a story in, in depth, you know, you know, you need more than, than you know, an unexperienced uh, guy with a cell phone. Yeah. So your next book, the the book that's coming out in English, is called again Snapshot. Snapshot. Yeah, and, and where can it, people get it? I think it's already on Amazon. Um, 
it just reached the states uh, I think two weeks ago because uh, we started with a Hebrew edition for the uh, 70th anniversary of, of Israel and then recently we've done uh, a re- reprint uh, in English so I think it's already online and uh, you can see it, it it has 11 chapters talking about um, the IDF at large I mean uh, from um, counterterrorism and all that has to do with that and then the Air Force and the Navy and and women in the military and Orthodox in the military and everything that has to do with the angels of, of the military that went to Haiti and went to uh, the tsunami and have done work um, uh, to, to, to help people and so on. So it sums so, up how many years of your work? Like actually we, we didn't we didn't want to go back uh, too much um, I've, the book was done together with uh, with uh, Yoav Limo which uh, correspondent, you know, correspondent. Yeah. He, he we actually we know each other for the from the Bamahane uh, you know from 30 yes. years ago and we work um, in the same uh, newspaper nowadays and um, he's work, writing about he's a writer for uh, the IDF um, I mean at large on, on the Israeli defense so uh, he wrote a text, and I took the pictures, and um, I didn't want to go back too much because it's not—it's not a historical book. It's—it's—it's it's, it's here and now. I see. On the contrary, even though I have images, I've asked um, the idea spokesman that for certain things that I've never shot before, that I want them to be kind of fresh and from from this year, and to update my archive. And so I would estimate that seventy percent is archive that was shot from the last like five or seven years. I think maybe more from Lebanon Lebanon war, which is 10 years. Right. Um, so the, from the last 10 years, and 30% of the book is fresh stuff that we photographed for the book, including things that we've never seen before, like uh, Matkal and Shaldag and some units in the army that were never, ever exposed before until the day wow. that uh, they wow. allowed me to photograph. Yeah. So guys, check out the book. What's it called again? Snapshot. Snapshot. Um, look for the book on Amazon. We'll post links yeah. to it. And you're on social media too, right? Yeah, of course, of course. You're on Instagram. Ziv Koren will post. Uh, yeah, Ziv Koren Echad on uh, Ziv Koren 1 <laughs> on, uh, on Instagram and just Ziv Koren on Facebook. I mean, I, I don't have anything against social media, by the way. I mean, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. I just think we it's, it's a bit overrated. I think we gave it too much power and we are all like living... You know, it's re- what's really amazing, especially if, you know, for, I have, I have three girls, you know, the older ones are like 13 and a half and 18 and a half. And, um, you know, we, we are in an era where if you are, you know, want to sell something to my 13 year old daughter, there is no way to do that if it's not through social media. Mm-hmm. So you will need to find some kind of a YouTuber or Instagrammer that because that her life is there. I mean, it's it's crazy, but as a, this is the fact. Yeah, she's not looking at any of the billboards on the side of the. Uh, <laughs> no, she's ILA. not. Yeah, and she's not reading newspapers. And you know, we we live in a kind of a parallel world. You know, her life is all somehow in her you know cell phone for some reason. You know, it's so if it doesn't get her through there, I mean, there's no other possibilities. So this is where everybody's... It is. It is scary. Yeah, I I totally agree. Okay. Maybe I won't have children, Eitan. (laughs) I'll give up on it. So anyway, um, before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal Journal in Los Angeles. It's a a Jewish newspaper and news outlet. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Interesting people who write interesting 
things. And we accept donation, guys. So if you want to throw some cash our way, we're happy to take it. Uh, we have a donate link at the top of the website, uh, 2NJB.com slash donate. And that is it. Stay safe tonight, Ziv. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I'll do my best. You're just so An cool. So thank you really, for coming. You. It was amazing. Pleasure, thank guys. You so thank much. you so much for having me. Bye.